I'm Jeffrey Wright, and you're listening to Mission Daily. Selected as best of 2018 by Apple, Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Mission Daily. Today's guest is Terry. Terry, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So we scraped the surface of your bio a little bit coming into the interview, but I would love for you to tell us about your work and what you do. Well, yeah, okay. I'm a nurse, but I fell into sleep medicine quite by accident. And I'll tell you, when I went to nursing school, um, we didn't mention sleep other than our lack of sleep (laughs) as we did shift work and things like that. It was kind of left out of the curriculum. Back then, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that how important it was. But now, that I, during my nursing career, I, I got involved in clinical research. So I was recruiting sleep doctors for insomnia studies. And, you know, just these great conversations started, you know, about how important sleep is, how common um, insomnia is, how, how prevalent it is. And then one thing led to another, and I ended up spending a week at a sleep clinic in Houston, Texas, and that changed my entire career. I was fascinated. I stayed awake all night long watching patients trying to sleep with different sleep disorders and slept during the day. (laughs) And uh, it was just amazing. It was a very eye-opening experience. And I thought sleep is so important that within my RN work, I'm going to absolutely focus on sleep, health, and wellness. I think in the medical community, I'm not directly involved, but from what I know or when I meet doctors and nurses and people that are working in that community, there still seems to be a bit of pride in how hard and rightly so those folks work. And with that type of pride and competition comes a bit of a disregard for sleep, um, I would say, for like the community as a whole. A lot of people are starting to open up to the idea of just how important sleep is, but I would love for you to tell us about where do you see the medical community at? Um, Are they still not really interested in sleep research, or would you say that more and more people are starting to get excited about sleeping? I really wish I could say that more and more are getting excited, and I don't see that. And regardless of this, you know, in spite of the new research, which is very compelling, very alarming... And, you know, um, just enough to make everyone stop and rethink their, their daily lives and how they live them. I think the medical community in some way, maybe it's just inherent in our brainwashing. But, you know, you, I, I just still hear them saying you power through it or you get used to it or that's what we're training. And they're still equating it with being serious about their jobs, about being a good doctor or a good nurse. You know, just to illustrate the point, I went to a conference room of nurses not too long ago. These were executives, and I'm there to talk about sleep. So, you know, one of my opening questions was, okay, so everyone here getting eight hours of sleep. And automatically and, and immediately, everyone started laughing and said, oh my, says, oh my God, that's crazy. We could never think of doing that. But here I'm talking to the very people that should be helping us message this and how important, like when you think about it, and we'll get to that later, but sleep is the foundation of health and wellness, not just one of the three pillars. So here I'm talking to a group of 
RNs, many of them seniors, some with masters and PhDs, and they laugh and say, who has time? Some nurses get it, you know, and they're doing research and things like that. But overall, to answer your question, I don't think, I think the message is out there, but I still think on some level we're resisting it. And it's our culture and it's just mm -hmm. how we're brought up and how we attach like a characterization to sleep. We don't attach that same sort of mindset and characterization to drinking water or being thirsty. Like we don't see I need another drink as being a weakness on any level. Right. The same person will still show a little bit of disregard, prejudice, um, you know, really you can't power through that or you don't have a work ethic or you haven't acclimated yet. I mean, it's still pervasive and I think it's shocking that it's pervasive in the medical community and you know we know that there are more uh, errors made when people are sleep deprived so maybe there's some some bit of you know they want to protect themselves or not feel like they're as fallible I mean maybe people feel vulnerable and they don't they underestimate the power of sleep I will say that they, yeah. on some level they're competing where know it may be just not admitting they need sleep and I'd like to get it past that and hopefully messaging that this is a biological need and it, we should be very unapologetic for our need to sleep it, to me it reveals a good thorough understanding of the science yeah I, I completely agree it's it's hard to hear that but I think that there has to be some cultural change and evolution if we're gonna move past this and see sleep as it's not lazy it's probably the most caring thing you can do for your spouse, your family, your coworkers is coming to work fully rested. So how do we go about shifting the dialogue or the mindset of people who have been, as you said, brainwashed in some cases to associate a lack of sleep with a better work ethic or something like that? How do we start to make that cultural change? It's, it's an uphill battle and I've been working on it for, for a number of years as um, many colleagues. And I think Knowledge is power, of course, and it, it, it's a hard message to get across because <laughs> when you're trying to reason with a sleep-deprived person, sometimes it's hard. You, <laughs> <laughs> impossible. It can be, it can be challenging. But I think when people start putting connecting the dots, and this is another thing that's sort of inherently problematic with getting the sleep message across because people don't connect the dots. They don't say. I'm sleep deprived, therefore I'm I'm fighting with my partner more, or I'm sleep deprived and I'm forgetting where I put my keys every day. I'm sleep deprived and I'm not getting um, promotions in the workplace. You're not tying, connecting those dots. And I really have to get people past, they say, okay, I didn't get enough sleep, so I'm sleepy today. You know, uh, end of sentence, I'll drink coffee, what's the big deal? But when we really start getting the message across and the, the information out there, this increases your chance of getting high blood pressure, diabetes, having a stroke. This increases your odds of getting cancer. You know, at some point they're going to listen. I think it's very similar to the whole smoking thing we went mm -hmm. through a few decades ago. I mean, when I was a kid, my father would light up in a restaurant, you know, and after our meal, he would sit and smoke and we'd all talk and off and talk. You know. But I mean, we didn't get it. And, mm -hmm. You know, parents smoked around their children. They smoked in cars. They smoked in the waiting rooms at the hospital. 
you know, when I first got out of nursing school, it was now I look back and it's so shocking. I think this is a similar sort of phenomenon that people are going to look back and say, oh my God, what we totally disregarded sleep. We think it's completely funny. I, I listened to a radio talk show about a year ago where people were calling in and it was a comedy show. They were, um, they were calling in saying, funniest places you've fallen asleep. And people are saying, oh, I'm dry. I was driving the company van and went right through the front doors of the, you know, of the business because I fell asleep. And you know, everyone's laughing. And you know, what if we changed yeah. the, the wording around a little bit and said, okay, if you have too much to drink, what did you do? A, not funny. B, dangerous. We, couldn't, we wouldn't think of that. But with sleep, we're still finding it amusing on some level. We just don't take it as seriously as we should. So right. I... So I hope there's going to be an evolution of how we think about it. And then just as our awareness grows and our information is, is more widely uh, disseminated, we will start to rethink it in a, in a way we haven't done before. I, I really hope so, because I'm just starting to view this more and more as it's funny how people who are sleep deprived tend to associate with one another and they bond over that, that shared sacrifice, which we're all prone to do. But when it gets to the place where, you know, you're endangering others because of your sleep deprivation, it's really, you know, a cult of slow suicide. It, and it's, uh, I, I don't know what else we're supposed to call it. Do you notice this is more prevalent amongst men or women? Because I, I'm from a background in the military where, so many of the men I worked with, like that was their, it was a daily talking point, basically. It, like it, it was going to come up in some way or another. Are, are there differences between the sexes or how do you think about that? You know, I, I've seen it across the board and I, and I, and I thought, I guess the more people I taught, spoke with women, I'm not saying they have it worse, but I, I think among women, it's still, you know, we're listening for the kids at night or, and we still, feel like we've got to finish that last load of laundry, even though bedtime was two hours ago. I mean, to me, again, there's a little bit of that cultural thing. And, you know, to be super mom, I just had someone say, I'd love to nap when my newborn naps, but there's so much to do. And so, I mean, we're sort of like people in, in healthcare or people in, in the military. I mean, I think there's still a level of bravado mm. or a level of if I'm going to be my best, I will sacrifice sleep because I need to get this done or do it this way or, or do it that way. But see, it, no matter what the scenario is or what the equation is, sleep is the one that's sacrificed and left out. I don't think anyone puts two and two together. And, and right. I've, I've done a lot of work with new moms um, in the last year. And, you know, sometimes the only thing I can say to really be impactful is to say, to discuss drowsy driving. I said, it, you know, I say it's as dangerous as drunk driving. Well, no mom is going to, it's the idea of getting drunk and putting mm. your baby in a car seat and driving is, is just you know, incomprehensible to uh, most every mom on the planet. But when you talk about sleep deprivation in a similar context, and the safety issues. It's not something we can control or well, we just turn up the radio or or start singing to this, you know, roll down the window, something like that. It's not that controllable. You mm. will have micro sleeps. And if you're tired enough, your body will go into a micro sleep and you will drive off the road. And 
there's nothing you can do to prevent it if you're that tired. So, I mean, I think, I think as a society, we underestimate the power of sleep across the board, underestimate what it harm is to us because maybe we don't see the immediate consequences or if we see them, we don't connect it to sleep. But I also think that, you know, we've got so many things encroaching on our time that it becomes a time management issue where this has to be done, this has to be done. Now, here's an argument that I think is really important to bring up because I, I know in my last seminar, a woman in the front row argued with me. She said, you know, eight hours a night, Perry, is very unrealistic. And I said, how so? I mean, we're all busy. You know, sure. I get that. I can relate. Okay. But eight hours is completely unrealistic. So I said, let me, let's talk about those waking hours. Let's talk about the 16 waking hours. I said, because when you, here's a funny thing that happens when you get eight hours of sleep every night, you do better. Your waking hours are so much better. You're more efficient. You're less likely to make mistakes. You do things more you know, quickly, say more quickly than if you were tired in, in a more efficient manner, in a more thoughtful manner. Um, you're more careful, you're making better decisions, you have better judgment when you're well-rested. Sleep affects our prefrontal cortex. So many aspects of our functioning are tied up in that. I mean, planning, um, organization. You just think of financial decisions, things you do at work on a daily basis. All of those things are impacted. So my argument is you don't have time to not get enough sleep. And another another seminar, I was talking about teenagers and going to school incredibly early in the morning and how sleep deprivation affects them. But um, one of the parents argued, well, I want my son staying up till midnight because I want my son to go to a good college. The grades are all important. But here's a child that we went over his 24-hour schedule, and it was shocking, actually. So... It's up at 5.30, he's got to catch a bus, classes start at 7.20, and then he's up till midnight doing homework to get into a good school. And she said five to six hours every night of homework. And I said, well, look, let's do an experiment. Let's make sure, you know, teenagers need 9.25 hours of sleep every night. Let's see how he does during wake hours. If he gets eight to nine hours every night, shoot for nine, but let's start building that up and see how much better, better quality, you know, getting the homework done instead of five or six hour window, mm. you know, you can probably do more, do it better in half the time. So Completely it's, agree. it's just a different way to view it. We have to really rethink sleep, I think, to just lead better lives. I completely agree, especially when you look at some of the early studies being done with uh, students and wake up times and the early results seem to be pretty clear that starting school at a later time, ostensibly so students can get more sleep, has led to a reduction in the amount of student fatalities in cars and things like that. And I, I get really worried when you bring up something like that and people still want to push back um, <laughs> about, you know, oh, it's, you know, we... I had it rough and these kids have to have it rough too. There, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think a good place to start would be how can people who are sleep deprived, how can they start getting some of the sleep they've lost back? I know it's very, very hard to do, but if you're struggling right now, or if you're willing to admit that you're sleep deprived for anybody that's listening out there, what are some daily steps that they could take today to maybe pave the way, maybe today, this week and this month 
how can they pave the way to start to get caught up? It's a great question. And I think a starting point to go down that route is to start, get a different mindset. You know, look at it differently. You have to reframe it first because I think your actions will follow. Look at this as this is the foundation of health and wellness. Our diet, our, our level of exercise, energy, our willingness to exercise, all these things really fall back on how much sleep we're getting. So embrace it, understand it will improve your life in many ways. And, and then from there, again, start with sleep. Do what you need, you know, what, what is your bedtime situation look like? There's so many people I talk to that fall into a rabbit hole of, you know, the internet searches, Netflix, you know, one more episode type of thing. That's why I advocate a bedtime alarm to remind yourself it's time to shut off all the electronics. We've, we've all heard that light is really bad for us at night. Given the electronics, the blue light will affect our melatonin production and, and reduce it. Also, the lighting in the house. Don't forget that. I mean, a lot of times just dimming most of the lights in the house as the evening wears on will help sort of get you um, where you need to be. And, some, you know, sometimes wake times are in stone based on our jobs or our, our, our work schedules. That can be manipulated in some way fine. If not, start easing back, you know, your bedtime. Get your bedtime moved back a little bit. You can do it gradually. Even we did one, we worked with one group who for, I think it was over two weeks, they tried to extend their sleep time, say um, 30 minutes a night. Some ended up doing like an hour total before and after and how they felt just after, you know, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't take much. It just depends how much you typically get per night. And you realize anything, say under six hours, six hours and under, that's for short sleepers. There's only, right. there's probably less than 2% of the entire population that fit that, diagnose, you know, have that ability to be, be short sleepers. The rest of us really have to realistically say it's between seven and nine hours a night for adults. I mean, that's the reality. And we have to work with that reality. Yeah. I find that people that have been thinking, I get by on four, I get by on five, six, when they start getting that and seeing difference because a lot of times they've lost the point of reference mm -hmm. so then they see the difference in how oh, this extra 30 minutes i'm doing more i feel better etc and then they go from there and it's a lot of people don't go back to the say sloppy habits or disregard that got them into the sleep deprived state in the first place because then they really see the difference and feel it and they don't go back and those good habits stay in place that accommodates sufficient sleep time. So, I mean, maybe to further answer your question, I really look at my 24-hour schedule. And I put that, whatever you need, if you need seven, if you need eight, it's, I, it's eight minimum, eight and a half, perfect. And I work from there, literally. I mean, I schedule around it. I'm, you know, being in sleep medicine for over 20 years now, I mean, you don't have to remind me to turn off things at night and get ready for bed because the risk-benefit ratio, I do more, I do it better, and I feel better when I get that sleep. So no no show will, will keep me awake. No internet searches will keep me awake. So it really does change your priorities and, and really changes your focus. And, um, and, I, and I work around it, but it's that 
maintenance of a, it doesn't have, it's not a rigid schedule. I mean, life happens. But I try to keep that eight hours every night of the week. You know, we see a lot of yo-yo sleepers out there who think, well, I'll sleep four or five hours or six hours during the week, and I'll make up for it on the weekend. And that just causes a lot more problems to follow. I'm not saying don't sleep extra on the weekend if you need it. But what happens if you make that schedule and, and sort of stick to that schedule? It's, it's a recipe for disaster because we don't know if you can make up for the damage done. There's a lot of metabolic damage. We know that our brain clears out um, neurotoxins at night through the lymphatic system. Beta amyloid plaques, right? And yes. Others, yeah. uh, uh, um, how, the things that cause dementia and Alzheimer's, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. So look at it that. I mean, there's another thing to sort, you know, if you need convincing, turn off your electronics at night. But think of these, these life, these very serious health conditions related to sleep. So I, I think it's still, if we can get people to sort of reframe it, there's a lot of great day-to-day things like to boost your habits and, and to make sleep come easier. You know, a bedtime routine is essential, not just for kids, but for adults too. You need that transition time from wake to sleep to kind of switch off. That always is really helpful. You know, I know everyone rolls their eyes at mattress commercials that are everywhere, but, <laughs> you know, I really, a good sleep surface is incredibly important. And, and may think, oh, it's been a long time, but I'm still okay. But sometimes, a, you know, go lie down if you happen to be near a mattress store or something, just see if it's not a different feel. Because there are a lot of new materials out there now that um, haven't been around, and some of them are really wonderful. But every little bit helps. But you want to optimize, you know, not just we have to think beyond duration of sleep, we have to think about quality of the time we're asleep and get the best, most out of it. So I think optimizing the sleep environment is crucial to uh, doing that. And I think that still fosters good sleep habits and a good mindset towards sleep to have that bedroom become the sleep sanctuary. No clutter, no unused exercise equipment. It's seriously a place designated for good sleep and romance only and everything else out of sight. Great advice. And how, how would you advise, or I'm really curious when you work with clients or groups or institutions do they bring up the fact that caffeine and alcohol are such like i mean those are cultural staples now and those are the things that are really killing our sleep and there's like a huge taboo against drinking earlier in the day or you know basically in the west that is not you know having your drinks uh, after lunch is not something that's uh encouraged but having them after 5 p.m or 6 p.m is probably the worst time to drink. How do you encounter caffeine and alcohol and what do you advise people on those substances? Well, you're absolutely spot on with that. It's it's really a problem. And what happens is it really can turn into a vicious cycle. There are people, okay, let's take start with caffeine. They're drinking coffee all day or any caffeinated beverage to get through the day. That's a sign of sleep deprivation. That should make you stop and think. If you really have trouble stopping after lunch consuming caffeine, you need more sleep, I mean, period, or you have an undiagnosed, untreated sleep disorder. There's something wrong that needs to be investigated. Uh, here we have people that drink coffee all day to get through the day because they're sleep deprived for one reason or another. And of course, at night, they can't go to sleep. Now, we talk to them in the clinic setting. A lot of them, I know oddly, will say, oh, well, caffeine doesn't bother me. You know, and 
they've just had a cup of coffee after dinner, and then they come to us and say, well, I can't sleep. So yeah. we have to say, yes, it does bother you. And, and here are some things to try. People don't hydrate. I mean, I say instead of grabbing a cup of coffee at lunch time or after lunch, after lunchtime, get some water, hydrate. All that caffeine is making you dehydrated. Get some water. And then once you do that, take the stairs, you know, take the stairs in your office building. Do something to sort of energize yourself. Try to do things like that instead. Mm. And even speaking of the stairs, another big issue is that it relates to sleep quality is we have a lot of people out there blogging about no exercise in the evening. Well, tell you we want everyone to exercise don't we? we i mean exercise is so important it's crucial for sleep and evening exercise is fine for a lot of people it depends on their chronotype it depends on a lot of things but i for one i could never get up at 5 or 6 a.m and work out i hit the gym about six between six and seven at night mm. I feel great and i sleep great so the trick is say during the day you're having a slump don't reach for the coffee Take the stairs or get a 10-minute walk in because even a 10-minute walk will help your sleep quality. So think about that. We want to get off that cycle of caffeine all day, sleepless when it's time to go to bed, and then more caffeine to get you through the day. So try to start subbing out you know, for the water and exercise. Now, alcohol is really tricky, and people do use alcohol as a sleep aid. And then this is when the trouble starts. And it, it can get quite serious because it will, if you use it to fall asleep, it will still fragment your sleep later. Even if you don't remember it or you don't remember the awakenings, it is messing with your sleep, not getting REM sleep. A lot of things happen, that alcohol being metabolized. And so, so then people wake up after that feeling crappy and they start thinking, well, tonight I'll have two glasses of wine before bed because, you know, I felt crappy all day. And, I, you know, and see, and so it goes. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I tell people is back that up. We want minimum three hours, minimum. Your sleep quality will be so much better if you move that back earlier and watch the amounts. An easy way to do that is one drink and water. Really insert water in there to um, lessen some of the effects but and even the quality of that sleep the alcohol in your system is pretty bad so move that up it's, it's happy hour is is a good time or earlier if, if it's part of the routine or you know while you're fixing dinner but not before bed yeah definitely and uh so you're the co-author of a book sleeping your way to the top and what i like about this is that you have co-authors so it's tempting to think that great books are created by lone authors but that's almost never the case uh there's usually a team of people that were involved could you tell us a little bit about the book and that writing process and why you chose to have co-authors with it yeah yeah in fact dr brown and i we we co-founded a sleep clinic together he's been in sleep medicine for over gosh 35 years now and Anyway, as we started working together in that setting, we, you know, we're always sort of re-messaging the, the sleep health message, which is news to everyone and rightly slow. So it's it's a pretty new specialty, 60 mm-hmm. years old in medicine, which in, in the context of things is relatively new, and the, mess, the word hasn't gotten out. So in 2010, we started writing the book thinking we really need a popular 
you know, not too heavy technical book out there about sleep and it's important. And we chose sort of the success approach within the, you know, how to be more successful because that's something people can, oh my gosh, I always thought it was the other way around. You know, if you want to be successful, sleep as little as possible. So what was interesting though is Dr. Brown and I collaborated and, and wrote the book together. We shopped it um, to some in publishing houses, of course, and it was really interesting the feedback back in 2010 and 11 and 12. You know, it was like, eh, not so interesting, sleep, eh. you know, maybe a magazine article, but it, it was sort of how I thought, well, this really reflects us as a society. We're sort of, eh, who cares? I mean, I think that really said a lot. Those early rejection letters, to me, it was funny, I didn't take it, you know, I kept thinking, this is because no one gets it. <laughs> Literally or because the big four or because the big four publishers are just sleep deprived. And exactly. like, I think some of their, their recent financial statements might uh, suggest that. But um Exactly. Because everybody talks about healthcare and rising healthcare costs and all the problems and things like that. But preventative medicines are, I think, typically a really hard sell. It's it's hard to get people excited about preventing bad things or bad health outcomes. How are you going about or how are you and your colleagues going about evangelizing preventative medicine? Because it's a hard sell, right? People don't want to make trade-offs. We want to have it all. So it is. And I think, you know, I mean, I part of our culture, I think, is well, if I don't, you know, I need a pill to fix this. So, you know, I have to tell people there are fairly simple things you can do to get the sleep you need. If you have a sleep disorder, there are over 80 of them known. Most all of them are easily diagnosed and treated and can be completely life-changing. I would such an easy message be so difficult to convey because, well, it can't be that easy. It can't right. be that simple. And then back to who has time. So it, it's, we have, we work with people that are overweight. Okay. And he, how many people are on diets that, you know, this is such a big issue at new year's when people are making resolutions and it's, well, I'll be on a show or, or, or on my email. People will say, well, Terry, I go and work out. I'm following such and such a diet. I don't lose any weight. So I, you know, how, how much sleep do you get a night? Uh -huh, who has time? L O L. You know, it, until I get that mindset, flipped, you know, my hands are tied, but I, I say, trust me, start there. You're starting right. at the wrong place. Yeah. You're still going to have cravings. You're going to crave high fat, high sugar foods when you don't have enough sleep. It's not willpower. It's called two hormones, um, right. ghrelin and leptin. So, you know, we're, we're just making this more difficult than it has to be. Don't feel like going to the gym? Of course not. You don't have enough. You're not well rested. A person who's well rested thinking clearly, who's running on all four cylinders, will be motivated, will make the decisions, will be better at managing their daytime, and they can figure it out. So a lot of my advice is, and, and Dr. Brown and I talk to people, that we just say, let's stop and get the sleep straight. And, and once we do that, we can prevent health conditions. We can, we can help you maintain a healthy weight. We can lower your blood pressure. We, there's so many things that that will do. And you would think everyone would jump on board, but it's easier said than done. And for a lot of those reasons we've touched on today and for some others that it's just going to take a while to get it through <laughs> people's tired brains that 
it's not that difficult. It can be life-changing. And I think we look at these some of these chronic diseases as inevitable you know, right. aspects of aging, and they're not. And okay. I think you know, when we look at Alzheimer's and stroke and, and really serious cancer, I think could this all boil down to insufficient sleep? And the research says yes across the board. It's a resounding yes. So we just have to get people to get it. And I visited a company last year, a gentleman, that I, I talked with after the meeting, very nice. He said, I got it, but, you know, I'm busy, and I'm going to sleep when I'm dead. His friends were all saying, you know, everyone's laughing, and, like, it's, that's all we have time for is we're going to sleep when we're dead. And I said, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I practice with different sort of methods of, you know, how can I get this message in a, in a way that that mindset, you know. Right. And it, it's it's hard, right? Because you're if you really speak up against that in the moment, I feel like people become so defensive and so on guard and so I can't believe you're criticizing a lifestyle choice I'm making or something like that. But I mean, I'm sure you're doing it out of sense of caring and so many other people are like we're trying to help loved ones get the sleep they need so they're not going to suffer later um, because the more we can help show people that the you know, Alzheimer's and things like this, they're not inevitable. We can prevent them. And the worst thing I think that anybody can do for their family is to have this knowledge now and then not put it into action. So what are some success stories that you've encountered or that you've helped mentor or coach people through where you start working with them, they're not getting the sleep they need. And then after X amount of months, they're kind of like whole life is different. Is there anything you can share there? Because I think sometimes those are the best best ways to get people to change their behavior. It is because it's, it's very compelling to see it, you know, play out in real life and to see that's why I'm in this part of medicine because it's so rewarding. So, okay. So one person came to for help, not voluntarily family member brought them in because this person was um, snoring. They could hear them down the hall. Okay. Now this person has, three kids that'll come into play later. But anyway, this person got diagnosed with sleep apnea, with severe sleep apnea, and immediately treated with continuous positive airway pressure, CPAP, to alleviate. And I'll tell you, in that I still remember every minute of this follow-up appointment, a family member came in with the person and said, thank you for giving me my daughter back. And I said, really? So she said, different personality, had been so short with the kids, you know, a lot of just behavior problems and, and things and short-tempered and, and quick-tempered and irritability across the board at work with the kids at, in the home environment. And she just said, thank you. I got the person back that I know, and, that I knew before. And so not only was untreated sleep apnea really putting this person at risk, for many serious health problems. But you see, all of a sudden, because, you know, to see how much the family dynamic changed for the better and how happier everyone was, not to mention safer, just everything coming together. We have talked to people who had untreated um, sleep apnea, who after treatment, and not very long after treatment, had a gentleman come in and he stood sideways in the doorway of the clinic and said, 40 pounds gone, I mean, wow. which goes to show you sleep comes first. 
and what getting that CPAP with that, you know, when people are not treated, they're constantly waking up all night, they're getting, you know, fragmented sleep, they're gasping and choking and having, they stop breathing. And so they've got the oxygen levels go down and a lot of really bad, really hard on your heart. So that was just this immediate, you know, weight loss. It really, again, you know, he could have been at the gym for 10 more years trying to do this, which he had been, you know, go out. It was a sleep disorder. So I think that, and I've seen the before and after just with any issues like insomnia, restless legs, they live with it for so long. For some reason, people will run to the doctor with a bad cold and flu, and I'm not saying don't, you know, do it. But when it comes to sleep problems, I think people are more apt to just live with them or write them off or sort of, or maybe not think about them until they realize at night, at 11 o'clock, they're staring at the ceiling again. I mean, we really should be looking at sleep as a vital sign. It is, at first couple things you say at every healthcare encounter, it should be, this is how I'm sleeping. You may not know you're having problems, but always bring it up. Because I think having that awareness is good. Having more awareness of what does sleep deprivation look like? Is it normal for me to forget where things are all the time? Is it normal for me not to be able to focus? Am I always going to be irritable? Family members, or maybe I'm just not getting the sleep I need. Am I getting the flu all the time when everyone else seems to be okay, even though I got my flu shot? I mean, all these things point to a lack of sleep. I have seen before and after pictures where, you know, people just had lost their point of reference. And then another thing with sleep deprivation, you have no insight into how poorly you're doing. Obviously, so what happens is they come and say, you know, it's almost like I realized at work I really wasn't giving it my all or I wasn't being efficient. I, and, you know, instead of arguing with my boss, I realized, you know, that now that I'm getting more sleep or better sleep, everything's different. It, it's across the board. And I think people really, I love when people, you know, share those good stories because I, I think they're relatable. But again, it's, we get caught up in our day-to-day lives, and I, I don't think, just as some of the diseases are considered inevitable parts of age, and I think people just waking up, not hitting the ground running like we used to. You know, when we're young, we assume at a certain age, well, it's just our age. No, I mean, you really should feel good when you wake up if you've right. had a good night's sleep. So it really is life-changing children can be misdiagnosed with behavior problems for years. Dr. Brown, my co-author, works with children. And, you know, if they get the sleep fixed, learning's better, behavior's better. The kids are really, to me, it's heartbreaking to think they couldn't, you know, they're not letting them realize their full potential and not supporting and protecting their sleep. So, and in children, unfortunately, a lot of children don't get help until late because we sort of, you know, should that child be snoring? No. Does that child have ADD? No. Let's... Let's check out the sleep first. Let's see how that is. And again, making that square one, I think can help people across the continuum, even the high schoolers. Just as you um, touched on before, you know, we're, we're finding more health problems, more issues with violence, aggression, social, just a lot of problems that are stemming from these unhealthy school start times because of their phase delay and puberty they're not getting melatonin until later in the night. We're not coddling them by protecting their sleep. We're just protecting their lives mm-hmm. and their well-being and helping them live their best lives. So what we're doing is actually making this is a 
health issue, this school start time issue going on with the teens. And, and I've talked to a lot of educators who just say, we're not going to coddle, they have to learn. Well, no, our brain is a work in progress until our mid-20s. And, and by mid-20s, they're going to be back on a different kind of um, sleep schedule. Their melatonin will be being produced earlier in the evening and not later. So coddling is not an issue. Making things easy for them is not an issue. This is an issue about their health safety. And when I say health, I mean psychological health and physical health. Huge, huge problem in this age group that we've all witnessed. Yeah. And I think, you know, witnessing it firsthand, don't wait until something horrible happens to someone around you. It's it's easy for humans to basically wait to or delay action until we experience the tragedy. Like don't wait to experience the tragedy because sooner or later something's going to happen to somebody that's sleep deprived around you. So speak up now. Terry, what are your estimates or estimates from some of the best researchers about how many people are sleep deprived in, in the world or in the U.S.? The numbers you know, vary, um, but at least a third of us are really in the insufficient range, at least a third. And it, it does affect us. And for the few of us that make it a priority and get recommended amount, amount they need consistently to do their best, the other third or more are affecting us completely, whether it's the train engineer or the pilot or your school bus driver or just the person in the car, one lane over, it affects us, um, all of us. So that's why we have to do more in terms of public health, you know, messaging, um, getting some real serious messaging out on a widespread basis. It's sort of like we did with seatbelts, you know, for kids when they're young. In fact, I talked to a researcher at University of Pennsylvania at a conference, and we thought it'd be great just to target the kids because we mm. know the uh, message travels upstream sometimes better. And sometimes, you know, problem with sleep is very few grown-ups are being good role models for sleep health for children. And we know that good sleep habits in childhood I mean, can really alter the trajectory of your entire adult life. Sure. I mean, just think about it. So if we can get the message out, I think we'd be killing two, two birds with one stone by messaging to children and hoping that the parents listen and start modeling that behavior and have everyone cut off the electronics at a certain time at night. And then even to approach bedtime in a positive manner. You know, when I was a kid, if you misbehaved, you had to go to bed early. If you were good, you got to stay up late. I mean, we've always woven all these bizarre sort of, I don't know, feelings and thoughts prejudices into the whole sleep thing and, and probably mm. because what is it that uh, you're you know you're heads to sleep and that when they're dying and you know suffering and I, I mean we just have to take sleep and pull it away and, and sort of put it in a positive light present it in a positive light but the gist of our book was you know, sleep is the key to success it's not an obstacle you can be incredibly and wildly successful if you get plenty of sleep. In fact, you're more likely to be successful if you're well-rested. And when I mean success, I'm using it in the broadest sense in every single facet of your life. So, you know, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle, but I think if we're consistent and when people are, their lives are changed with sufficient sleep, you know, helping everyone get the word out and sharing those good stories is a good first step. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Terry, thank you for being generous with your time. If there was one 
piece of research or message or call to action that you would leave everyone with. Maybe listeners are struggling with sleep. Maybe they want to explore the idea that they might be sleep deprived. What would you leave everyone with? I really think we have to take a good, long, hard look inward. Are we in denial about our sleep deprivation? Do you think there's any aspect of your life that's being affected in a way that you're kind of not sure why or what's going on? You know, where can you improve? And then look at that and say, okay, so how much am I sleeping every night? How, you know, See, see how it's affected. And then I would, if you're definitely on a consistent basis, not getting between seven and nine hours a night, start working toward that, note the differences. And then really, I think the bottom line is you have to make sufficient sleep, personal value, family value, a classroom value, and a workplace value. And it carries over into every aspect. We can't just say, I'm going to go to work and hope I do okay. I'm not sure how I slept. I mean, it's got to be a topic that's discussed in all of those places, yourself, within your family, at school, and at work. And it's got to become more in the forefront than it has been in terms of health, you know, employee wellness efforts, things like that, in terms of how children learn at school. You know, how do we look at maps? I mean, some employers... I love are, are you know, here, here are nap pods in the mm. break room. If you need to take a nap, well, that's wonderful. We've given people smoking breaks. We've given them coffee breaks. <laughs> Let's give them a nap break. A short nap can do wonders for a person who you know may have been up all night with the, or just up a little bit with a teething baby or something. But, you know, to me, let's all be flexible. Let's open our minds and not look at sleep in disregard, but really embrace all the benefits it provides us, and, and why not use that to the betterment of society as a whole and to us personally. I love it. Wise words. Terry, thank you so much. And everyone listening, embrace sleep or at least try to. See you. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, their customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.